Ukrainian officers and NCOs, as well as uh, civilian volunteers. This is a volunteer effort. If you would like to uh, help us, please uh, check out mariaaid.org. If uh, you don't want to contribute, that's perfectly fine. You can spread the word. And uh, off to you, Colby. I just uh, I just got a bunch of uh, DMs um, about the tank, and I see Alex came up. So, Alex, if you want to do uh, enlighten the audience, and that, you can go ahead. Sure thing. Um, so, basically, what the gentleman's talking about is the T90M, which is the latest and greatest variation of the T90, which in itself, as Colby alluded to, is just a, um, a T72 with some lipstick on it. Um, basically, the main difference is it has a uh, a uh, independent. Basically, it's got like a a um, like a I forget the technical term. It's got a machine gun on top that's independently operated. Um, Remote control. Ma- yeah, that's the one. Um, I, is it O O I W S or something like that? Operator. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's got a remote control machine gun. Um, it's also got a bustle-mounted autoloader rather than a carousel autoloader. Um, and there are there are there are a number of T the original T90s in use. There are I think there's only one unit that's equipped with the T90M, and it appears that they've only just been um, that unit has only just been deployed to the Ukraine. As there's only been a few few pictures of the T90M. Um, Actually, been actually been floating around. Um, there was one a few week, pictures of one a few weeks ago, um, intact, um, and now this new one that's been destroyed has um, uh, surfaced uh, today, yesterday, certainly within the last 24 hours. Um, the fact that they're very scarce may speak to something. I'm sure Colby maybe to draw, might be able to draw some more inferences from that. Um, but the T14 Armata is just uh, it's Narnia stuff, I think. Um, uh, it's, it's certainly there's there's some cool videos on YouTube, and and that's about it so far as we can tell at the moment. So yeah, that's it. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, yeah, as you said, the the M variant, just the newest version of the T90. Um, so uh, just reading new fire control. Uh, better armor around the carousel. So if you uh, go and find uh, Oryx has pictures of it, um, the one that was destroyed today didn't lose its head. Um, so obviously maybe that uh, extra armor on the carousel helped uh, prevent the detonation, which is a, a common problem for all the other Russian tanks to the, uh, the poor layout of the uh, the armor and uh, of the ammo carousel. Um, remote controlled AA gun and uh, and uh, higher end ERA armor as well on on the uh, turret. So certainly one of the um, it's it's the best tank that they can field actually, as opposed to the Fantasy T14, which is uh, just basically prototypes. There's a dubious number of them uh, that have been produced. It was supposed to go into uh, CRO production this year, I think, but that probably hasn't happened given the the state of the Russian economy now and their inability to uh, import components that they would need to build it. So, Sean. Thank you. Um, uh, I I had a question and uh, Colby uh, 
started to answer it uh i i had uh i wanted to ask uh what's the basic differences uh between these tanks because i know about tanks very little uh for example if a javelin rocket which hits from top uh will uh will any tank survive a direct hit uh with a javelin rocket because um us uh promised or or maybe already uh, provided ukraine with 5000 uh, javelin rockets and uh, ukrainian forces uh, are very skilled with operating them and i i heard even a, a rumor uh, that experts in uh, american uh, and i don't know maybe pentagon or, or maybe uh, other armed uh, command forces they were impressed how ukrainians are accurate and how good uh, are they with javelins thank you so so the question is uh what are the chances of different tank types uh against hitting from top like direct hit maybe from from the drone thank you there is no protection against a javelin Um, that's why it's so lethal because you can't have a any amount of armor on the roof of a tank that's going to protect it um, from a top attack weapon like the javelin or a drone that's coming straight down on the top of the turret. Uh, it's just not technically feasible to protect uh, a tank against that system. We saw these uh, cope cages as they've been deemed um that the russians set up specifically to try and defeat uh the javelin and those have been completely unsuccessful in that task um so there's very little you can do to defeat those sort of threats um which is why it's so potent doesn't matter how advanced or how well armored the tank is even against the western main battle tank the javelin is still going to destroy it most likely um because you just can't have enough armor on that part of the tank to uh, you know act to successfully defeat the penetrating power of the heat warhead on a javelin um so the, the only solution to that problem are active protection uh systems um which uh, essentially uh, they like shoot at incoming warheads and destroy them um, before they reach the target. Um, and those are still sort of in their infancy. Um, Israel has developed such a system, which I'm blanking on the name off the top of my head right now, and probably can uh, tell me. Trophy, thank you. Trophy, the trophy system is a system that Israel has developed, which um, seems to be fairly su uh, um, successful. And uh, that's a system that the United States has actually fitted to a number of their um, Abrams battle tanks. Not all of them, but uh, a good number of them have been fitted with that system. Um, but it's uh, it's still newish technology. I don't believe the Russians have um, operational active protection systems. Perhaps the Uh, T-14 is alleged to have it. I'd have to double check. Um, but certainly none of the Russian tanks that are in theater, I don't think, have any of that sort of technology um, that would enable them to be de 
defended. Um, so that's really the only protection you can have against uh, a javelin is that, that sort of ap active protection system um, because, uh, you know, these modern heat warheads, um, the penetrating power of them is enormous. Um, and uh, you just can't have, you know, feet of effective armor on the roof of the tank. It's not technically feasible. Um, so it doesn't matter which tanks, how you know, allegedly advanced they are. Uh, anything, any javelin is, is going to be able to take them out if they s secure a hit. And uh, the success rate um, for the javelin has been in the high 90s, I believe. Um, as long as the system's working and they get a successful lock-on, that target's going to die. MS, I'm, I can see you requesting. If everyone can take a look up uh, to the nest, this is a photo of the most advanced variant, T-90. It's the T-90M destroyed in Ukraine. So there you have it. That's the T-90M. Not me-M, their M. And uh, that's a photo of it uh, destroyed in Ukraine. As for the trophy system, the trophy system comes in three variants. One of them is uh, specifically for protecting tank. The other one, tanks. The other one is pr for protecting APCs and uh, transport vehicles. And uh, the lightest version of the trophy system is designed to protect uh, soft-skinned uh, vehicles, such as uh, Humvees and uh, other uh, vehicles like it, like uh, the Israeli uh, Plasm, for instance, the CAT. And coming up next, Chris, then MS, because we want to be learn more about Indian arms procurement. Real quick, are those other um, uh, trophy systems operational right now? Have they been uh, actually fitted uh, on the APCs and the soft skin? I've seen... So the trophy system is combat-proven. And it had a couple of successful kills against incoming RPG-7s in Gaza. So the army that fields the trophy the most is the IDF. But uh, trophy is considered to be combat proven. And uh, German Rheinmetall has a similar system. I don't know its name right now. But I can look Right, right, okay. yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious because I know it was... I've got it on the tanks, but I didn't know. I knew that they were looking, or at least the Americans were looking at fitting it to other vehicles, but I wasn't aware that the Israelis were actually looking at um, fitting it to even soft skin vehicles as well. So I'll have to look further into that because I'm curious if that's, they found that to be economically viable to be fitting soft skin vehicles with an active protection system. It is economically viable, and uh, the number of sensors and cameras is less, and the number of uh, the shotgun like charge. Uh, charges uh, available on the system is also less and the number of guns themselves it's less but it's a modular system that they you can literally place it on the rooftop of a soft-skinned uh, vehicle and it will protect it against incoming uh, ATGMs. Chris? Uh, good morning everyone. Um, hope you got a decent connection but you can hear me okay. There's a bit of background noise, but I think we can make you out. Well, it'll be very short and sweet. Um, yeah, I know it's a discussion about uh, javelins and end laws and the top attack capability. Are the Russians fielding anything similar, or is there a massive capability gap for them in this fight in relation to top attack ATGMs? Sorry, Chris, can you repeat that? No, I, I got it. I, I don't. I don't think the Russians have any top attack 
uh, weapon that is operational. They've got a lot of different ATGMs, but I don't think any of them are, are top attack weapons, but I may be incorrect about that. Yeah, thank you for that, because um, clearly once this initial, well, this ongoing Russian offensive is stymied and Ukraine switches to the offensive, the ability of the Russians to neutralize potentially Ukrainian tanks who are on the offensive is going to be a big deal. If they haven't got ATGMs of the caliber that are being dished out by the Ukrainians, it's going to be a problem for them. So it's good news. Yeah, they have a lot of different ATGM systems, but certainly, to my knowledge, none that would be as successful as the Javelin. Um, but even these, um, you know, less sophisticated systems can still be uh, lethal against uh, the tanks that Ukraine is fielding, um, because again, they're not operating the uh, most state-of-the-art systems as well. Um, but they can do the trick, and obviously, the biggest and most important factor in all of this is just um, the training and the skill and the competence of the crew that's operating the system. Um, you can have the most sophisticated system in the world, but if the, the crew is not well trained, then it's not going to be an effective system. And thank you, Colby. Our beloved MS, please go ahead. Hello. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys? And uh, I hope Fallen is doing great, uh, like everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I I like to give a little bit of um, uh, facts on the on the T90s um, uh, because I know uh, India having around three thousand plus T90s. There is a different versions of T90s. is is a very potent weapon for sure. And how much on... do you pay for it? What's the what's the <laughs> that's what's a the unit story. cost? That's a different story, but just to how want to. How much did you pay for it? Uh, I don't know, means how much it is. I think it is a it is built in India under transfer of technology, so not so so so. I think how much single, did you pay for it? How did you make? How much did you pay for building three thousand of them? I think it's three thousand plus. So it's a single digit million dollars. I don't know the precise number figure. What's the price of three thousand javelins or in laws? Yeah. Yeah, but okay, my purpose is not to counteract uh, about Javelin. I'm just trying to give the facts of T90s because India has a huge T90s and uh, as a main battle tank of India. So if you want to hear, I can give you the little bit of facts of, of uh, T90s. You have 2,000 T90s, not 3,000. And we're seeing right now what the effectiveness of the T90 is in Ukraine. Yeah, but uh, I'm just uh, not here challenging uh, what Russians are using. I don't know what they are using it. But I know what India main battle tank is, uh, T90. It is based on 90% on T90s, obviously with some changes. So we have an active protection as well. We have a equivalent to, to, to Javelin called anti-tank anti missile called NAG. Uh, we have passive protection and T14, which India is currently testing uh, with Russians. It is really potent. Why? I, I give you one information, which I think widely available also, that they have an electronic warfare inside this T-14, and it's under a command system that connect uh, tanks of tanks. That means one tank, a tank in the center is, is having electronic warfare and cover around 14 or 15 tanks in a, in a battalion, which is fully connected and cover under upside, inside, sidewise, for any missile that is covering. Now, you're right. I think it's not in the production yet. They have around 100, 200 tanks, T-14, 
but i think it is in the testing phase and india is also testing with uh, with with the same chassis of of t14 and the technologies so it just uh, just affects little bit to 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 share Thank you, Anas. That was very interesting. Uh, Amigaden. Hey, thank you, Anas. Uh, quick comment on uh, MS. Um, I think India is probably going to have a little bit bias remorse right now for the Russian equipment bought for the military. Um, just the way the equipment the Russians have themselves is performing in Ukraine. Um, but the, the comment I was actually trying to make is the. Besides the javelin, what I've seen so far, the Stutner P, the Ukraine-made and guided anti-tank missiles, they seem to perform really well on the battlefield. And I believe they have even a lower economic footprint compared to a javelin. Um, so I don't know if you, anybody else wants to make a comment on that, but I think those type of weapons, uh, they, they might be a really good low-cost solution for the top down attack on the tank. And um, I'm not really sure what uh, what the um, the Abrams tank uh, would do against one of those. I mean, without any type of active um, uh, repulsion system. Those type of weapons seem to be kind of like nullifying most of the tank forces that are currently out there. Sorry, I was brushing my teeth, getting ready for bed here. Um, certainly, um, all the various different uh, ATGM systems that Ukraine has are going to be uh, effective against um, most of the tanks that Russia is fielding. Um, they don't need a javelin to destroy a T-72 it certainly makes it easier um but uh all of the systems they have both their um sort of just legacy soviet systems and uh and other um systems they they have they have some um, indigenous uh systems um and as well as the all the other um man portable anti-tank systems that they've received from the west they're all very capable of destroying most of the um, potential threats they're going to encounter. It's only against um, sort of the newer Russian tanks that have um, really actually functional ERA um, that are going to be a, a problem uh, for them to defeat um, from the front at least. Um, so that's where the javelin comes in against those um, tougher nuts to crack. Um, but, but certainly just even these uh, less sophisticated lower cost systems have been um, very effective, and we've seen Ukrainian forces um, utilize them um, with uh, with effect against a, a broad spectrum of targets. Even uh, attack helicopters. There have been a, a few instances of um, attack helicopters being shot down with uh, these um, anti-tank guided missiles because they've been just uh, loitering very low to the ground um, to try and avoid the um, man-pad systems which then opens them up to a, a brand new threat. Um, so, yeah, the, as I said, um, the Ukrainians 
with their experience and skill, ingenuity, um, are finding uh, all sorts of solutions to the problems they're facing on the battlefield, and that more than anything else is giving them a, a significant advantage. I have one question to to M or maybe Colby because I think you guys are quite smart in in um, analyzing different situations, um, uh, not on on so much on the military uh, strategies or technology. But um, last few days, I'm just even thinking and, and having a lot of discussions with my friends that what is the end game here that that Russians are looking uh, considering maybe. I, I do understand the end game of, of Ukraine uh, is basically to kick all the Russians out uh, and to to bring all the territories uh, as per the sovereign country. But I still, I, I think when we have a discussions in our in our groups, uh, in our friend circles, uh, I'm totally confused what, what Russians wants to achieve here. Do they want to have kind of a continue a proxy war? And then what it links with U.S.? Maybe good to have your views there, but at the end, what do you think? This war will continue forever, or once Ukraine gets its sovereignty, will it stop, or it will never stop, or it will like a Cold War kind of uh, iron curtain will come? So good to have your opinions around it, because I think we we lack and we missed now the intellectual capability to understand how the Russians are are, are, are doing and 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 just just to complete on this is for example you can see even in the in the in the in the field that they are using sometimes very uh, high graded weapons sometimes they are using a shitty weapons so <laughs> it's totally confusing what they want to achieve uh, and, and and i think at least uh, from our side we don't know at all so maybe you guys, because it's, it's this is this is what you do for a living. So good to have your opinion, uh, Colby or M, or Walter. I don't know. Are you asking about Russia's endgame? Exactly, exactly. What is that? Uh, it seems it seems that Russia is uh, pursuing a policy of adding lands of other southern countries to its territories, either under gray banners or white banners. Gray banner is by creating a gray zone or a cold conflict, they maintain political power over that zone without really settling its final situation under international law. And then there is annexation, which they have started pursuing aggressively by taking over Crimea. Some Russian political scientists argue that when you take the lands of another country, that yes, it's evil, yes, it, yes it's inhumane, uh, yes, it's uh, illegitimate, but it can be done and it should be done in order to safeguard the borders of the Russian Federation. And then the political pressure comes from within the future generations in Russia on any political leader coming after Putin to prevent him from giving back the lands to their righteous and legitimate people. Uh, this is a stupid uh, preposition, and I don't think that the international community is going to allow this to happen. 
in fact, we might be looking at the tipping point of the international community pushing against Russia's practices of salami slicing. Georgia, Chechnya, Moldova, Ukraine. We've seen what they can do. We've seen how they do it. And honestly, no one wants for this to continue any further. So will they be able to negotiate a peace treaty with Ukraine where they keep some of the land? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that the Ukrainian government is going to negotiate that. I don't even think that it's on the table. So I don't, I don't think that the Russians have an endgame. At this point, it is just a deep mess that they created with a very high sunk coast. And there is no way to go except continuing to run forward to achieve any territorial gains and force a new reality. And the current military situation is not allowing them to do so. In fact, like I've said several times before, they have lost entirely on the northern front and retreated entirely on the northern front. And their effort in the eastern regions is not progressing as planned. And it's been 70 days now. They haven't uh, even taken Sumi. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that they have an endgame. But Colby, would you like to comment on this? No, I agree with all of that. I think uh, it, it's an open question whether Russia even knows what its goal is now whether Putin has formulated some sort of plan or whether uh, the general staff has some sort of plan, it seems like they're sort of just going day by day and, uh, you know, things are getting quite desperate for them, it would seem. Uh, so so if I may summarize in one word the way I'm listening to you, Am and Colby, is it right to say that, okay, they they want to create a like kind of a USSR, as you say, they want to, through salami, they want to get the land. But thanks to the military performance, that they will not come closer to that. And thanks to the world community uh, unity. So they will somewhere, I mean, I don't know, I'm just here trying to, to summarize what you just mentioned. Somewhere in between Russia plus, but USSR minus, so something in between they 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 will try to achieve, right? Is my understanding correct, or more or less the same? Okay, and and one more point, I am a little bit also confused here. That it means I yes, we can do a thrash bashing about Russia and uh, the way they are performing in the field. I I fully share this view, but in terms of the 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 weaponry, not the man. The weaponry and the technology, they do have it. Maybe we can do uh, that. The confidence level on their technologies, we can discount by many. Uh, but as you know, recently, uh, when USSR was splitted, uh, Chinese uh, took almost uh, 70% of space scientists, almost three times the salary. And I think US is also trying to do the same now to bring uh, uh, down, bring back some of the Russian scientists who wants to move to uh, to, to Americans to America. Uh, my, my question here is, I mean, again, it's the same same question which goes in their end game. Sometimes they use really very good weaponry uh, in the field. Sometimes they don't do it. Sometimes they attack train station. Sometimes they do not attack train stations or civilians. And this is really confusing, at least I would say some of the people like me who do not understand the war games and everything. That And, and that's where my, 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 my previous question, what is they want to achieve? Uh, 
They want to make it fear across the globe. No, not fear. No, Ukraine is like our brother. So we will not attack civilians. But then we attack civilians. It's totally confusing what they're trying to do. And uh, and that's where my, my, my initial question was coming. They're trying, they are trying, they are trying to invade a country and take control of that country and subjugate its people. If it quacks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, then it is a duck. This is what they are trying to do. They are trying to take over Ukraine and subjugate its people. When that plan failed, they changed the objective and said, oh, we're just, you know, going to liberate the Donbass. Oh, we're going to just secure Mariupol. Oh, we're just going to do this. Oh, we're just going to do that. It's always, uh, you know, goal shifting when it comes to the Russians. And at this point, it has become absolutely comical to listen to anything coming out of them. So, again, this is a protracted war that they planned badly, executed badly. doesn't matter if their weapon systems are uh, amazing or not. Uh, you're more than invited to go visit Ukraine and fish, how well, you know, fish tanks from lakes and helicopters from lakes and, you know, prove that they are great weapon systems and it was just the Russians operating them who are who were poorly trained or undisciplined. I mean, it's been very clear right now. There is clear evidence that the Russian army hasn't conducted itself as a professional army throughout this war. Colby. Thanks. MS, let me ask you a question. Why is the Ural Vegunzavad tank factory shut down right now? Uh, what? Sorry, I did not get it. Euro what? Why is the Ural Vegunzavad tank factory in Russia shut down right now? Which is good so that they will not produce more weapons. <laughs> For me, it's good uh, so that it will not be used in Ukraine. Uh, but okay, to answer seriously your question, uh, obviously they, they lack uh, maybe semiconductors and other things. Uh, For sure, the materials are not available. Sanctions. That's the short answer. Yeah, yeah, sanctions. exactly. Sanctions, obviously. <laughs> they lack semiconductors and thanks to the sanctions. So, Right, but it's not just semiconductors, though. So why is it that... Russia lacks not only semiconductors, but other components as well. Which is good, Colby. I mean, I think uh, less weapons they will prepare, I think they will bowl no, out. Why? Why? Uh, why? You are more expert than me to answer. <laughs> well, you seem to think that Russian military equipment is very high quality, so I'm trying no, to understand why. Yeah, hold, they, on, hold, they, on, they, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why do you think it's very high quality when they have to import technology from Western countries to build their tanks? Yeah, uh, and, and and believe me, um, there is a conventional weapons they are developing, and I, I don't believe what the Russians are saying or doing it. I more go what, what Indian so media says West, about the West, Indian the weapons. West, MS, the West and, is trying to steal their scientists, but their scientists aren't great at R&D to develop the components that they need to build their own systems. Are, are, can't you see the conflict in what you're saying? Can't you see the contradictions in what you're saying? Um, no. Um, so there is many aspects of the questions you are raising. And I have, or I can answer to a larger extent some part of the questions, not all the questions because I'm not an expert. They are not producing. I cannot tell. Maybe you are the right guys, whether they lack weapons, they lack sanctions due to the semiconductor, they lack personal, they... I don't know. They have the designs. They can manufacture if the material is available. Now, material is not available thanks to the sanctions. This could be one answer, but I can. They're using. They're using. They're using a Canon camera lens. 
in their drones. Yeah, can they design uh, an, their own optics? Okay. Uh, M, so I just uh, let me answer one by one your question. So this is the first question and then I, I, we go to the drones. But let me answer the first question on the tank side, what Colby asked. And this is my view, but I could be wrong. And you are an expert and you, because you do this for for living. So you are more expert and, and I, we will follow you or whatever you say. I'm not, I'm not an expert. I don't do anything for a living. I'm just a kid with a smartphone. You can act from that, <laughs> from that point. Okay. So, so, so maybe, yeah, or maybe some other experts in this, in this space, but the way we perceive uh, Colby to answer precisely your question. Yes, maybe. It's a not maybe it's hundred percent maybe sanctions maybe they don't have the capability they they, they rely on Western equipments this is point one question uh, the second question which you are saying ah uh, do you think they have a huge high end technology yes we do believe not from the Russian standpoint but from Indian standpoint Indian military when they buy some weapons they do a due diligence that I think only few countries ever have done it we say no to F 16s we say some things and you know when we have a around 20 billion dollar contract we have gone through all the aircrafts to it so i follow them very closely i am not from military background but i follow for last uh, decade to understand how the indians are taking decisions and on that basis i come to some conclusion which could be wrong today in the in the warfare i don't know about drones but i know in the indian military circle they say it's Maybe not at par with the Western technology, but it is also not inferior what the high advanced technology that Russians are making. That's the perception in the Indian military background. And you can negate for sure. There is always a pros and cons of every wep weaponry. But I, when I bring the points, it's more linked to what India ministries have the view. And, and I consider being a like the world fourth or fifth biggest military power that they know what they are talking about. And if they don't know what they are talking about, then I, I highly doubt how they will survive the war going forward if there is anything happen in the future. I hope it answers. Yeah. Uh, as you should be able to tell from my last name, I am also Indian, and I would like you to consider the possibility that India's arm purchases from other countries is not actually primarily based on technical specifications, but it is based on politics and that India has made very large mistakes in purchasing the quantity of equipment it has from Russia for political reasons. And I'm actually very confident of the fact that the Indian general staff uh, is well aware of this and that politicians in India are going to have to account for these decisions that have been made over a very long period of time, because this will actually get Indian soldiers killed if they ever go to war with Pakistan or China. And maybe you are right, huh? if, if this is what's happening. If they have bought political reasons uh, inferior weapons, uh, wow, <laughs> God helps India when one is China and one is Pakistan on the other side. Yes, but don't take me wrong here. I, you know, I'm just uh, providing something what we hear. I'm not here coming with some mindset. I'm very open to hear uh, what is happening. But I, I also go with the facts with different media to see, to check. And, and that's where I, I come here because, you know, I'm a full supporter of what is happening in, in, in Ukraine, that they have to ask for a sovereignty. Uh, yeah, that it is life, what it is. So thanks. Um, hey, um, I, I want to come back to that question of the end game of the uh, Russian um, strategy here. Um, so MS. There is something 
about Russia that is poorly understood outside of Europe and perhaps a little bit in America. But Russia is a colonial power, just like Britain or France or the other European countries or United States to some extent in the 20th century. So what they are doing is, like M pointed out, I believe, correctly before, the nibbling on territory, boundaring to own territory to extend their own land mass and their own land control. That is the system of Russian imperialism. Okay, and they do it in a very um, predictable manner. So they, they um, establish relations with a territory adjacent to the boundaries. They establish trade relations. So this is historically, by the way, tracing back to the 16th century. I mean, all the way before they um, took over Siberia, which makes up most of the landmass. So they send people over, they establish urban contacts, they make people um, involved with them, they're trying to take over um, influence over um, certain government regions or certain territories, they settle um, ethnic Russians over there. Um, they, at one point, force, uh, so, so to speak, the rights of their own people, their own ethnical Russians in other territories to be respected and regarded. And they're going to be the protective power of those um, um, people. In the first place, they're always looking for favorable politics towards their own interests. Later, they're going to do demand puppet governments according to their own interests. And this is, by the way, how they handle Ukraine. Since the break of the Soviet Union, they wanted to have some kind of favorable governments in all the other countries. They broke off Russia, of the Soviet Union, which is the imperialist entity of Russia in the 20th century. All those countries that broke away, they did the best they could to get any type of favorable governments for their own purposes installed in those places. And Ukraine and the Euromaidan um, uprising in 2014, when the Ukrainian people made clear they wanted to have a Western orientation and didn't want to have the uh, Russian-centered politics in the country. They wanted to be part of Europe. They wanted to be part of the free world. The Russians fought for that. They invaded and they took territory in Donbass. They went for the territories where they located two Russian ethnical um, populations during Stalin mostly. So Stalin was really good at shuffling around ethnical populations throughout the Soviet Union. And most of this is focused to establish uh, Russian ethnic minorities um, all over the place, like 20, 30, 40 percent, Estonia, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, all over the place. And they want to hold those territories by that margin. Okay. And if you fail to deliver to them a puppet regime that is for their interest, they're going to fight you. They fight you in Georgia. They fight you in Yakutia, in Tuwa, in Burkaya, in Sikaria, 
in Estonia, in Finland, in Ukraine, all over the hundreds of years. I mean, that's how the Russian imperial system is designed. Okay. And the end game to your question that Russia had was to march into Kiev, to take it within five to seven days, to install a new puppet government. And that end game failed. And Russia didn't have a plan B. And right now it's fighting without purpose. Thank you, Hermagenon. Uh, Django? Yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, responding to the, the question raised by MS. I know that MS came from India and he has a number of questions and I was hoping to give some context. Maybe that will help understand the situation better. So, in, so MS in India achieved its independence, gained its independence 1947 from the British Empire. And when India was gaining independence, it allowed Pakistan to be a separate country. So it actually, instead of gaining independence as one country, it allowed the, it actually split the two countries and say, part of, part of the Muslims can go, the Muslims can form their own country. India can form a separate country. That is completely unthinkable if it's the Chinese Empire or the Russian Empire. You know, in, in, the, in northern India, there's a state with a size about one-fourth of Ukrainian. It's called Arunachal Pradesh. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. China has been claiming this is part of its territory. It actually waged a war against India. China is making, becoming an ally of Pakistan for only one reason. It does not care anything Pakistan is doing. It becomes a staunch ally of Pakistan with only one purpose, to weaken India. One day, it will take over that land. To China, to split into two countries is unacceptable. So therefore, Taiwan, which is the Republic of China, China is always going to find ways to take it back. So that's one. So if you try to have something to understand what's the end game. Well, here's the thing. Countries tend to be hegemonic when they're big, when they're huge. But there are certain things certain nations will do. There are certain things certain nations wouldn't do. Now, yesterday we have a very interesting discussion around the British Empire, how it is evil or not. Yes, British Empire had many things not desirable. However, British Empire will allow many of its members to gain independence without waging wars on them. It will not send its people off to concentration camps remotely to erase their ethnic identity. Let me make an analogy. There are two abusive husbands. The first allow a woman to divorce him. The second will say, if you dare to divorce me, I'm going to incarcerate you or I'm going to murder you. These two husbands are different. Although they both can be abusive, living with them can be a nightmare. That's not my point. So different countries will go to different lengths. America is not perfect, but America in 1934 actually passed a law to say that in the future, it will allow the Philippines to go independent. Actually, it set a, set a date. Philippines can vote to gain 
its independence. So America can, you can say its empire, it is not imperial, imperial to the point to take over some other, other country's lands. It is not perfect. But if you look at China, if you look at Russia, they're progressive. They will go to lands, other countries will not go. China will go to the lands, Russians will not go. Russia will go to the lands, British Empire will not go. British Empire would do things America would not do. So there's a different difference between the nations. That's my point. Well, thank you, Jingo. Jay? Hey, Em, how you doing, buddy? <clears throat> um, All good, sir. I'm glad... I'm glad you came back with that uh, as far as the end game. That that's you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Because uh, I mean, the way Russia attacked at the beginning, Russia was going for the whole pie. Uh, but you can see their objective has changed because of the resistance and what they're losing. And um, I think they're just going to split Ukraine. Try to, but I don't even think that's going to work because. Once Ukraine starts really using the weapon systems, it's coming online from the West. They're going to keep hammering uh, Russia. And if the uh, sanctions continue, uh, Russia is not going to be able to keep up with it. You know, it's just like Ronald Reagan when he outspent Russia and um, caused Russia to fall. It's going to be almost the same thing with Ukraine. Uh, Russia is not going to be uh, able to keep up resupplying its own troops. Um, and you got the entire West um, supplying Ukraine. So they're, I think they're going to end up pulling it out. Uh, it's not going to work for them. That's all I got to say, buddy. Thank you, sir. Jingo? Yeah. The other thing uh, MS brought up was the weapon quality and so on. The, uh, I have no question that the Indians, Indian government does a lot of due diligence. One thing, just as Kobe was saying, the, their due diligence, given the quality, is very questionable. The second is, you need to look at what weapon, what countries India is buying weapons to prepare against. China, although it got many experts from Ukraine, actually, and from Russia, but actually, they did not use, use them that well. Let me tell you that. So the other thing is, if the weapon quality is not that well, not good. The second is, around the countries who can potentially be security threats to India, you have Pakistan, which makes very poor weapons. You have some other countries. So there's not one country using the weapon like the NATO, NATO-grade weapons to defend themselves. It's not necessary for India to prepare for that. So therefore, it can go for cheaper weapons, large quantity, good, just good enough to defend itself. And also, there's a lot of political consideration. So actually, when you look at the weapons India is acquiring, you look at, for example, the aircraft carrier India has got, the quality isn't really that good at all. Jay, please go ahead. Yeah. Um, first of all, you have to understand the, the doctrine of the communists. You know, their thing is not really as far as good weapons. Their thing is to overpower the enemy. So they'll mass produce these weapons that aren't worth a damn and try to put all their power on a small foe and just overpower them. That, that's the way they do things. And But they don't 
they don't do the maintenance thing very well, so they don't keep up with the maintenance of what they got. And they don't really have enough soldiers to man what they got. And um, I heard somebody say something earlier about a footprint in anti-tank weapons. When you look at anti-tank weapons, you also want to look at um, the distance, the uh, effective range of these anti-tank weapons. You don't want to be French kissing a Soviet tank trying to blow it up with a small rocket launcher. So the distance does have a lot to do with it when you're talking about an armor ambush or something like that, pulling something like that off. But um, if India bought a whole lot of Russian stuff, does India have the the factories to make improvements and keep up on their maintenance? So I don't see them getting it from Russia anytime soon as far as parts. And um, I, I, I wouldn't buy communist stuff at all. A lot of the stuff is off anyway as far as uh, target-wise, hitting their targets. Uh, you're seeing that their systems... They're junk. They they don't even come close to some of the targets they're trying to hit. So I, I don't know. Thanks. Wings, good morning, sir. Morning, troops. Um, yeah, I, I just thought I'd jump in on there. Um, I mean, the proof in the pudding will be the, the um, assessment of the Russian kit that's been captured um, when all of this is over. Um, I suspect there will probably be some unpleasant surprises. I think some of the some of the equipment will be quite sort of um, revolutionary in some ways, simply because that that you know that's that's the nature of warfare. You produce new kit um, and you innovate. I think the vast majority of it though will be found to be substandard, and I think countries like India um, are going to be very defensive over the next couple of years as they start to realise that they've been sold an absolute pup in terms of kit. Um, I mean, we're starting to see uh, trash T-90s now. Um, we know that uh, N-Laws um, are somehow managing to go through the front of, T- of modded T-80s. Um, obviously, we need to see the um, assessments um, post-war of which rounds went where and where the, um, you know, how the armour on particular vehicles performed. But all indications are, um, if you've bought Russian kit in the past 10 years, um, you've been sold a chocolate fire guard with a free chocolate kettle thrown in as well. Um, can it be modded? Yeah, I mean, most most bits of kit can be modded and improved upon. Um I mean, in particular countries like India, they're not silly. They they, they can actually um, make some very, very good technical improvements to the Russian stuff that they've bought. Um, we've seen some really interesting innovations in the Indian Navy over the past few decades where they've managed to incorporate Russian equipment onto essentially Royal Navy frigate hulls and things like that. Um, so you, you get the decent sea-keeping qualities of a Royal Navy warship with... Um, quite a lot of Russian sensors. But the, the the bottom line is here, a lot of this stuff is not fit for purpose. Um, we can't write it all off to their being inexperienced and badly trained. It's bargain basement price for a reason. Right? And, and and in terms of military equipment, military equipment is like buying stuff on, you, you know, on, online. If it's cheap, um, it's usually cheap for a really good reason. And... I think a lot of countries are going to be either desperately investing in an upgrade program over the next few years or they're going to be canning 
stuff flogging it off to third world countries um, where it will be quite sort of useful and investing in more Western technology. I also think the Chinese are going to be um, taking a good hard look. Again, they can innovate um, a lot of their equipment. You look at it, they say that it has been improved upon, um, especially in terms of naval strength. They are really, really going for it. They want to challenge the USN in the Pacific with carrier groups. But I also think they're going to be looking at it. And it does raise questions as to how effective, especially the PLAN um, kit is going to be in the future. Uh, and are we, again, slightly overestimating how good um, the Chinese will be in a stand-up fight? Um, but, but yeah, I, you know, I expect people to get defensive about it because on the face of it, lo- lots of us looked at Russian, Russian equipment and thought, well, that looks pretty Gucci, doesn't it? And it did look pretty Gucci, and all the films look Gucci. Uh, and it turns out a lot of it is just utter crap. Thanks, Wings. Dingo. Yeah. Uh, the first is that, the Wings, I can tell you right now, the, the Chinese Navy will continue to build a lot of ships. It looks impressive on numbers. But when there's a test, if you look at the quality, it's terrible. It's going to be absolutely terrible. And there's actually a reason for that, because here's here's the fundamental difference. Here's the fundamental difference between India and China. I've been following that. Although India's military technology and a lot of things on paper looks much less advanced than China. However, there's one thing. It is much more likely for you to build up, let's say, the NCA core and so on in the uh, NCO core in the Indian army than the Chinese army because the communist system is fundamentally against its people, including its soldiers. So if you let people to organize, empower them at a grassroots level, that by itself creates a conflict the communist regime cannot handle. I'm not sure that's the same with India. That's the first thing. The second thing is India may not be as friendly to the world order as many people want it to be. But it's not going to build itself as an enemy to the world order. Communist country is. Russia is. Russia and China position themselves as the enemy to the world order. In in their politics, it says, basically, the communist version of of politics, it defined that as uh, you die, I live, meaning we we are mutually exclusive. It's a zero-sum game. There's not going to be a win-win. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. India defines it this way. So therefore, in the future competition, India will have a lot more opportunities to to absorb the good technology, to organize it, reform itself, as compared to communist China. So that's my view. Thank you, Jingo. Um, Hermageddon? Uh, hey, MS. Um, thank you, I don't really believe that um, this should be about um, India and China right now because, I mean, China is basically sticking to itself and uh, whatever it's going to... China's not really going to be an imperialist nation like ever. They're just going to do whatever they do about this sphere of influence that they're not really good in invading, meaning they don't have a history of doing so. Um, those few skirmishes in the Indian borders, just like business as usual. Um, 
but, but what have you said about the, the new world order before? That's why I really wanted to um, chime in a little bit. The new world order is kind of like a red herring. I mean, the, the world, world orders itself new all the time. And we are facing a lot of challenges in this century alone. Um, name it population growth, um, overpopulation, um, climate change, um, dwindling resources on planet Earth. I mean, mankind has a whole bunch of problems right now. Uh, and wars like that we have right now in Ukraine are completely counterproductive to whatever we're trying to do as a mankind. All right? There's no 400, 500, 600-year plan what we're going to do as a species in order to survive. Right now, we're just like this, hey, I want to have this part of urban territory. I want to have more influence. I want to have more power. I want other people to bow to my wishes. And that still hasn't changed, okay? And I don't think that any idea of a new world order actually fits into the paradigm what is necessary for us to do in order to move forward together. And all those wars are kind of like, I don't know. I mean, I'm a recovering pacifist, but just for the Ukraine purpose, to be honest. Thank you for that, Jingo. Yeah, I think you probably misunderstand the world order. What does it mean? The world order means